Let's head to the phone lines right now and be joined by Peter King of NBC Sports. For my money, he is the best sports writer covering the National Football League. He is our Odyssey NFL insider, and all of our insider calls are brought to you by Old Spice. Men have skin, too. Peter, we appreciate you hopping on today for this divisional round matchup. Thanks a lot. What's going on, Carrington? How have you been? I'm doing fantastic, Peter. Let's just start with this. You have obviously covered this league for a long time, and there have been a lot of comparisons between Manning and Brady for Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. It is just really interesting how the NFL, it is a cycle, and how that torch has been passed that if you were Patrick Mahomes, if you were Josh Allen, if you were Joe Burrow, if you want to go to the Super Bowl out of the AFC, you have to go through probably two of, of the three out of those quarterbacks. Yeah, I would, and and again, I don't mean to eliminate Burrow. I think Burrow, if he's healthy, is going to be on their level for a long time. I think he's probably having more injuries than you would you would think about a guy uh, who you would you'd want to be one of the uh, Mount Rushmore guys of modern quarterbacks, and he is if he stays healthy, but. Now he's just got to stay healthy. But I think right now in the AFC uh, that these two guys are the ones that seemingly are always going to be there. I, I would like to put uh, I'd like to put Lamar Jackson up there, but the problem is that Lamar Jackson uh, has, as of now anyway, a real sordid playoff history. He's played four games. He's lost three of them. And he scored an average of 13 points a game. So, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't know what that means right now for Lamar Jackson, but he's going to have to play a little bit better in the postseason to get up on the level of those guys. Peter, what's been so encouraging to me about watching the Chiefs last week against Miami was I think they executed their formula. You and I have talked about this over the course of the last couple of months, but Patrick Mahomes didn't have an interception. Isaiah Pacheco had 25 touches in the game. Rasheed Rice was really good. Kelsey had 70 yards, and their defense played pretty well. This Chiefs team isn't going to be the one from 2020 or 2018. They're not going to outscore a lot of teams in the way that they did, but I I thought on Saturday night against Miami, they found a formula that if they can stick with it, they can win on the road against Buffalo. They can beat Baltimore. They can beat any team in in the playoffs. Yeah. I think what was encouraging about it is that uh, if you didn't know it was 30 below wind chill, you would have thought that Kansas city was just playing a football game, but 30 below wind chill crippled the Miami dolphins. And you have to be able to, if you're going to be a football team on the great plains of the United States, you have to understand that in the middle of January, you are going to have a game occasionally or often that is going to be absolutely miserable and is going to be uh, totally dictated by the weather. And in that particular game, I thought what was really cool overall, okay, is that if you look at the way that Kansas City played this game, now look, they had a lot of plays in this game. They had like, seven, I think, 75 plays, which is a lot of snaps. The average NFL game has about 65, 66 per team. So that's a lot. But even though Mahomes was not quite as efficient as he would want to be, 
Um, they ran it for over four yards a carry. Bill Parcells always used to say that I don't really care about the uh, necessarily the uh, the number of or the per carry rushing average. Tell me about the number of carries, because if you have a lot of carries, then what's going to happen is you're going to possess the ball a lot and you're going to keep it away from the other team. And I think that was the case. Uh, They had 34 minutes of possession time. And that is a good formula for them to follow, particularly, um, I mean, Isaiah Pacheco is such an interesting football player because he, I I mean, he's the definition of running violently. And I, I know he's not the biggest guy, but I can't imagine it feels very good when Isaiah Pacheco runs into you. Right now, we're talking to Peter King of NBC Sports. Peter, I'm curious, what's the most hostile environment for a game that you've ever been to? Because I think that could be the case Sunday in Buffalo. This is a fan base that has had this game circle for five years. Every time Kansas City gets the home game against Buffalo, this is the first time in this great rivalry that has really emerged over the last five years that Kansas City has to go to Buffalo and they got to play in front of that fan base. What's the most raucous, what's the most hostile crowd for a game that you've been to? It might be last Sunday in Detroit. Um, in that game, toward the end of the game, when the Rams had to make some plays, uh, I, I was in the stadium. And toward the end of the game, when the when the Rams had to make some plays, they have a decibel counter in that stadium that they put on the scoreboard to encourage people to be loud. And right down the stretch of that game, with four minutes to go, when the Rams were <clears throat> trying to get in position to kick the winning field goal or the go-ahead field goal. They got to 118. So I Googled decibel levels uh, on my laptop sitting there in the press box. And when I looked at 118, it goes 115 to 120. 737 uh, taking off on a runway with you standing by the side of the runway. And so I just thought, hmm, that's pretty loud. And it was insane in the stadium. In fact, after the game, I spent time with Dan Campbell, and I said, what was different about today? And he goes, you know, I go out of the locker room to go on the field for the warm-ups with about an hour and 15 minutes before the game. And um, when I left the locker room and went in the tunnel – to go up to the field, uh, the hair on the back of my neck just stood up. There was this very loud buzz, almost like it's in the middle of the second quarter of a game, and we're 75 minutes before the game. And he said it just never stopped. He said that's the most amazing crowd as a player or coach I've ever been ever been in. So, But it could be like that in Buffalo. The one thing in Buffalo is, they don't have a dome. so the And it'll be 110 decibel or whatever it is, but the roof doesn't keep the noise in. So that'll be one way that it probably won't be quite as insane. But to me, I, I don't think it's going to be all that much different from Arrowhead. Because to me, I mean, I've seen some games in Arrowhead. I saw the, the game that the Patriots won in overtime. They got the overtime rules changed. You know, I've seen a few games there that are similarly insane. 
So, I, and I do think it'll be crazy in Buffalo. I, I'm going to that game too, but I, I'm not sure that it's going to be able to top what I saw in Detroit the other day. Right now, we're talking to Peter King. All of our insider calls are brought to you by Old Spice Gentleman's Body Blend Wash, providing exfoliation for 24-7, moisturization because men have skin too. Peter, I'm curious if you have one key for a Chiefs win and one key for a Bills win. To me, this is a coin flip kind of game. Neither team has the advantage. Maybe you give it to Buffalo because they're the home team finally in this matchup. But we saw these two teams play earlier. It was a 20-17 to game, and it really came down to one penalty that decided who won this game. What's your key for a Chiefs win? What's your key for a Buffalo win? For Kansas City, it's ball possession. I want exactly the same kind of game that there was the other night. If I'm Kansas City and I'm Andy Reid, I'm Matt Nagy, I'm thinking the magic number for this game is 36. We want to hold the ball for 36 minutes. We want long drives. We want to target Travis Kelsey 15 times. You know, we want to get Rasheed Rice the ball in space. Yes, of course. But we want this to be a game where you're telling your guys, don't go out of bounds. You know, I mean, and it doesn't matter all that much in the middle of the second quarter because the clock resumes. But if you don't go out of bounds, the clock never stops. So, you know, so that's one thing. And then for Buffalo, it's turnovers. You know, uh, they probably, if Miami was even decent, two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, Miami uh, would have won that game instead of, you know, Tua throwing a horrible interception at the end of the game. Uh, But, you know, Buffalo turned it over. They made a bunch of uncharacteristic mistakes otherwise, and they still won the game, but that's not, they're not going to be that fortunate against Kansas city. So I think anybody, if Buffalo Uh, lose the turnover margin by two they'll lose the game but I think Kansas City it's really really important that you force Josh Allen into some quick throws and try to force him into turning it over Um, right now we're talking to Peter King of NBC Sports here for a couple more minutes getting his thoughts on the divisional round matchup between the Chiefs and the Bills Peter, you are very uniquely positioned to answer this question because players just talk and respond to you very differently than they do any other reporter. How similar are Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in terms of their personalities when you've got a chance to talk about uh, talk to them? How different are their personalities when you've got a chance for a one-on-one with each of these quarterbacks? The one thing that I think they have in common is they remind me of Tom Brady in terms of their intensity. And um, if you told one of them, listen, you're going to win this game uh, Sunday, but it, but in exchange, I'm going to take three years off the end of your life. They'd both say, where do I sign for that? Um, and that sounds strange, but they, they both want to win so bad. And they both take that, I think, not necessarily take it from Brady, but I think Brady left – that sort of ethos in the game. I think the two other ways that they are very, very similar is that uh, are that number one, they can beat you in a variety of ways. I don't think Mahomes likes to run as much as Josh Allen likes to run, but Mahomes will run when he has to. 
and he will run very intelligently and very effectively. He won't run as impactfully as Josh Allen, but he will run and he'll get, like I looked up at the end of the game the other day, he's got 41 rushing yards. And you just think to yourself, wow, I, I didn't realize that. And I mean, that is really, really significant. And Josh Allen, I mean, he averages more than 50 rushing yards a game. So they can both win in a variety of ways. And I think the last thing is that each of these quarterbacks, just like Brady, have guys on their team who will do anything to to win for those guys. They're great leaders. They have tremendous respect. Now, I want to take you back. I, I, I was in Bill's camp on one of the first days of training camp this past summer. And I'll never forget this. This was, uh, a, 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 you know, basically just a drill, uh, a seven-on-seven seven, uh, practice session that they were doing. And uh, Josh Allen, and, and everybody is sort of going 75%. It's not full speed. And Josh Allen looked around, looked around, couldn't find a receiver. And he started running and he started sprinting toward the end zone because one of the DBs was chasing him and he was not going to let that guy catch him. And when he got to the end zone, he spiked the ball just like it was the, a playoff game. And, you know, I think that sort of competitiveness just basically seeps onto the rest of your team. And, one of the only guys I would say was as competitive as that in the NFL right now uh, is Patrick Mahomes. So that's why these games will always, always, always be classics, just like in the Brady-Manning vein. Peter, I'll get you out of here with this final question. I am a believer that between Houston, Green Bay, and Tampa Bay, one of those three teams is going to win. Like, this season has just been so unpredictable. I find it a little hard to believe that now it's going to be chalk for the final three weeks of the NFL season. Which of those three teams do you think is most likely to win this weekend between Houston, Green Bay, and Tampa Bay? Carrington, you're a very, very smart man because – I can't I think either Green Bay or Houston is going to win. And I just think that because they are absolute total unpredictable wild cards. I mean, think of what we saw last weekend. The the Green Bay Packers were ahead of Dallas in a game that Dallas was favored by nine and a half. They're ahead of them by twenty seven points with a minute left in the first half. And look at what Houston did. Houston took the best defense in football and absolutely took Jim Schwartz and Miles Garrett and everything. Miles Garrett didn't get a sniff of C.J. Stroud. And they put up 31 offensive points, 45 points altogether. And I'm just telling you, at the end of last weekend, I said, one of those teams is going to win. I don't know which one. I, I I really I I would probably guess I'd guess Houston, but I, I I don't know. I don't have a great feel for which one it'll be, but man, I think both of those teams have a chance to go into Baltimore and San Francisco respectively and win those games. That is Peter King joining us on the show today. He is our Odyssey NFL insider. All of our insider calls are brought to you by Old Spice. For my money, Peter King is the best sports writer covering the NFL. Peter, it's an honor to talk football with you every week. I appreciate your time. 
Thanks a million, Carrington. All the best to you. Absolutely. That's Peter King of NBC Sports joining us on the show today. Really good stuff for him, getting you ready for the divisional round of the playoffs. Coming up on the other side, Frank White has a very lengthy statement about why he voted no for the downtown stadium, the proposition. There are 10 things that he says he wants to see from the teams. I will tell you what those 10 things are coming up. Keep it right here. It's the drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Remember to follow the show on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. I promise you that we are going to get back to the Chiefs coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But I do want to talk about Frank White is going to veto. What's the correct term, Rob? I want to say this correctly. So they are trying to get this on the April ballot. And Frank White has the ability to say, no, hey, we're not ready yet. We still need more time. It seems like he is one of the biggest proponents, if not the biggest proponent, for why this will not be on the ballot in April. So in this letter, I don't want to read the entire thing to you because it's lengthy. They have 10 unresolved issues that they would like to see. Number one is a Jackson County resident preference plan, a substantial benefit for our county's residents designed to match or surpass uh, initiatives in Major League Baseball and NFL over the entire length of the agreement, local presence of the teams, commitment to keeping front office training facilities and essential operations within Jackson County, insurance, uh, trans, uh, transitioning insurance responsibilities to the teams uh, for taxpayer savings, parks tax reimbursement. This is a 3.5 annually from our parks levy, a rental fee. Who's going to pay for the stadium demolition if they're not going to use uh, Arrowhead anymore? Or excuse me, if they're not going to use Kaufman anymore. Let me be clear here. If they're not going to use Kaufman anymore, someone is going to have to pay to get that thing torn down. A community benefits agreement, enforceable agreements for long-term community benefits, the Royals' new stadium location, the specific location of the Kansas City Royals' new stadium must be confirmed, a Chiefs improvement plan, the Chiefs must provide detailed plans for Arrowhead improvements and their vision for the complex post-Royals relocation and private capital investment. Both teams must commit to the amount of private capital that they are willing to invest in these projects. Now, I understand that Frank White is being painted as the villain for all of these things, and I am not here telling you that I don't disagree with that. I certainly think that he has been a major hindrance, and I think that if he was maybe more cooperative and willing to play ball, so to speak, I think they would get these things done. I don't think that asking for some of these things is unrealistic. I really don't think that. Like, let's at least try to look at it from this perspective. Maybe you disagree, but let's try to look at it from this perspective. The Royals are asking us to commit to something without really explaining what the plan is. Rob, do you know where the stadium's going to be? You and I have an idea of where the stadium is going to be, but the Royals have not communicated. The stadium is 100% going there. I could understand how your position could be, hey, we're happy to give you this money, but you guys need to show us your work and 100% lock-in committed, this is where the stadium is going to be. 
I also don't think it's that bad if you tell the Chiefs, hey, you want the residents of Jackson County to commit $350 million. It'd be great if you guys told us what you plan on doing with the $350 million. Now, some of this stuff is over my head and it's politics, and I don't care about this. Like, this shouldn't be held up because we are debating who's going to pay for the demolition of Kauffman Stadium. Hey, put this on the ballot, and we got eight years to potentially figure that out of when we have to officially demolish old Kauffman Stadium. But some of the things that the Jackson County voters, I guess, are asking for in this, I don't really see as that unreasonable. And I would say that the Chiefs and the Royals, right now, one of their plans is trust us. Hey, we're going to build an incredible downtown stadium. And I know that we haven't given you guys all of the details yet, but you guys should trust that we're going to do right by you. Or the same thing with Kansas City. Hey, we are the Chiefs. We want to stay in Kansas City. You guys know how much we love Arrowhead. We want to renovate it. If you guys give us money, man, it'll be amazing. I'm just simply making the argument in the case here that if that is one of the things that is holding this up, that's not that unreasonable. Some of this other stuff seems a little bit unreasonable. And hey, we're not going to let these things be the reason that this deal gets held up. But for the Chiefs and the Royals to be asking for a substantial amount of our money, they have at least vocalized very little on what their actual plans are. They have told us what their ideas are. The Chiefs have never really told us their plan other than we plan on renovating Arrowhead. Well, how? What is you guys playing once the Royals are there? They haven't really communicated that yet. I don't think that that's unreasonable to ask for those things before putting this thing on the ballot. I think most everything, and listen, I've been a strong, I don't say proponent, opponent of Frank White through this process. I think these 10 things are fair, mostly fair. I, I agree with you on the demolition thing. Like, we have time to figure out demolition. I think we have time to figure out how it, Jackson County residents can get an advantage. I mean, right now they have that built in. If the Chiefs and Royals are in the playoffs or have tickets, Jackson County residents get first dibs at those tickets. I think you can just keep that in play, but I digress. The thing that stood out to me about his 10 things, other than where the Royal Stadium will be, which is very noteworthy, is the thing about front offices, training facilities, and operations thing in Jackson County. Because... It would not stun me. I would not fall over with shock as if the Chiefs stay at Arrowhead but put a training facility across state line. I could see that scenario playing out. And I would say that I, and mean, I get I guess, why Jackson County's protecting themselves against that. They don't want to, they might not lose the team, I'm air quoting, but we know multiple teams in the NFL that have training facilities way away from their stadium. Minneapolis comes to mind. Their training facility is way out in the middle of nowhere in the suburbs. They have training camp there, the whole deal, and their actual stadium is in downtown Minneapolis. I don't care about that. I don't. And I'm, you know me. I, I am get through why and the through, county does, though. I am through and through Jackson County. If you were telling me that a major proponent of holding this deal up is that the Chiefs might build an office in Johnson County, bro, I don't care about that. (laughs) I I really genuinely don't care about that. If that's where they want to have Mark Donovan's office, great. I I, I don't care. I care about where they play the games. I care about where the concerts are going to be. I care about where the major events are going to be. I don't care about some of the stuff that they're in here arguing about. And maybe it, it ends up being a benefit to us. Like they're talking about who's going to pay for the insurance. and who I, I, I'm not denying that. 
ultimately what I care about most, what is most important to me as a voter is where the Royals going to play their home games, where the Chiefs going to play their home games. Some of the other stuff, you guys figure out. That's your job to figure it out. I don't care about that. I will say this. Go ahead. I don't like that these 10 things are holding it up conceptually, though, because aren't these 10 things the taxpayer could deal with down the road? I mean, outside of location, do Jackson County voter X care about the vision for the new Arrowhead is? Why is that holding up this getting on the ballot? And I would say that that's the other point is, and this is why I'm adamant on the, I'm simply just presenting the other side of the argument. Like someone says, see, why hasn't Frank White asked for this before now? It's a great question. Like, I'm not here to be a Frank White defender. I am frustrated with the way this process has gone as well. I do think it would be fair, though. Hey, I'm going to push this through. I'm going to give you guys the opportunity. But this is why I am against it. This is why I am not supporting this. Ultimately, what I really want to come from this is, as a resident and taxpayer of Jackson County, I want to have the ability to go to the ballot and vote yes. And it's my decision to vote yes. There are a lot of things that the Royals and the Chiefs haven't told us, and they are somewhat operating on. We need to have our blind faith in them. Hey, we need to trust that you guys are going to do things correctly. Hey, we got to trust that we are going to love your downtown stadium plan. The Royals haven't really answered all the parking questions. Like, there are still a lot of questions that the Royals have not answered about this downtown stadium, and they are asking for us to trust them on a significant amount of money. So I do think that it's fair to have some reservations. But what I think is unfair is at some point you got to give a resident of Jackson County a choice. And it feels like they are taking away our choice to simply say if we want this or not. And and if we don't like the Royals and the Chiefs plan, then they will then pitch that plan to Kansas. They will then pitch that plan to Clay County or Belton or Cass County or wherever the stadiums may be. But Jackson County, the residents, they should get the first right of refusal for if you want to move forward or not with the stadium. I'll also say this. One thing, and we haven't talked about it, makes the quiet part, and we're not supposed to say it out loud, is the reason the Royals and Chiefs are pushing this to get on the ballot soon is because an April ballot benefits them. Because let's be honest, if it gets pushed down the road and it makes the next ballot, that's November. November, just like looking at the calendar, is a presidential election. You're going to have more people coming to the ballots and coming to vote than you would in April. And it is a it is noteworthy that the Chiefs and Royals are thinking to themselves, hey, when more people vote, we don't like that. We don't like this on the ballot at the same time. President, senator, those type of things are on there. That seems noteworthy to me from the team's perspective. Maybe Frank White is the problem. Maybe the legislator is the problem. But I do think it's noteworthy that the Chiefs are pushing to get this on the April ballot because they don't seem to be happy with the idea of it being on the November ballot. Text line 913-586-7610. And I do want to get back to football here. Someone says, but CDOT, what if training camp goes to Johnson County? That would be three weeks of economic activity if they built a new training facility to replace the one in St. Joe. I personally don't care about that, but one of my counters would be the Kansas City Chiefs have not had training camp in Jackson County since the 60s, since it was William Jewell and Liberty. It's been a long time since they have gotten the training camp dollar. For the longest time, they gave training camp not even to a local community. They gave it to River Falls, Wisconsin. That's one of the things that's holding this up is that three weeks in August, they're going to be in 
Johnson County? I, I just, I don't care about that. I really don't. And I'm going to guess that the amount of money that they are arguing over when it comes to that, like, I would love to see the numbers for training camp. I'm not saying it's an insignificant. What do you think we're talking about? $25, $40 million over the course of these three weeks? People that come in from out of town and stay and shop and spend money. We're talking about a very, how much money does one Chiefs regular season game generate? One postseason game. I'm, I, I just don't care about the three weeks in August. I understand, but they've never gotten this money, ever. They've never gotten this money. It's been 40 years since they've gotten this money. This just seems like a really unnecessary, like a really unnecessary pissing match between two entities, and it, 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 just, it doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve the taxpayers and the people. Ultimately, I just want to go to the games. It just doesn't seem to serve any of us. By the way, as a not breaking news sounder worthy, the Chiefs and Royals put out another joint statement following the veto today. The statement reads from the Royals and Chiefs, we respect the county executor's veto authority. We will continue working with the legislator to ensure the ordinance is on the ballot on April 2nd so Jackson County voters have the opportunity to decide on the extension of the current 3-8 sales tax. They want this on the ballot bad. (laughs) That... As every joint statement they've put out is, we are working to get this on the ballot April 2nd. That is our goal. So let's get back to the Chiefs. I don't want to spend too much time arguing about this. I think you guys know where I stand with this. It was funny because I would say that Buffalo, a couple of years ago, it was in 2021, the Rams go out, they win the Super Bowl. You remember the Rams made the trade in the middle of the season, and they went out and they acquired Von Miller. And Von Miller was a really big help to that Rams team. He had five sacks, was really good, came up big in the postseason. Remember, he got that big-time deal from the Buffalo Bills. He was going to be the difference maker. Do you guys want to know how many sacks Von Miller has this season? Zero. Von Miller does not have a single sack this year for the Buffalo Bills. Do you guys want to know how many tackles Von Miller has this season? Because sacks, you know people are going to say, oh, it's not about sacks. Sacks are overrated. It's about pressure. It's about quarterback hits. about quarterback hurries. Do you want to know how many tackles Von Miller has this season? He has three. I didn't misspeak. Von Miller this season has zero sacks. He has played in 12 games and has three tackles. Three. That's it. This has been a really bad contract for Buffalo. It was actually going really well. You remember last year in the regular season, whenever these two teams played each other, Von Miller was a key reason of why Buffalo came into Arrowhead and won in that regular season game. He was really, really good. And he got hurt pretty shortly after that game between these two teams. Since then, he has been an absolute shell of himself. Rob, you know, I say it all the time. Your window is never open for as long as you think. And guys get washed quick. Von Miller last year had eight sacks, eight sacks in 11 games. Von Miller was really good last season, 33 years old. You're thinking, hey, this is going to be the difference. We got you. We got this signing. Hey, you know what? We got you specifically to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. We got you. Take it easy. Rest easy. We think you are going to be a major contributor down the postseason. Well, Torres ACL wasn't able to participate in the postseason and since then has been absolutely nothing. Like, literally nothing for the Buffalo Bills. That used to be a guy that you used to be afraid of. That was a game-changing player. Von Miller is a first-ballot Hall of Fame player. Last week, 
He played in 25% of the snaps. Didn't register a single stat. Not a sack, not a hit, not a quarterback hit, not a pressure, not a nothing. You would think Devon Miller would be an impact in this game. He won't. Not at all. It's an example of a team that tried to push their chips in the middle of the table and tried to go all in for a move, and this is going to be the move that puts us over the top. And oddly enough, signing a 33, 34, 35-year-old pass rusher with a questionable injury history has really backfired for the Buffalo Bills. I remember when that contract was announced. We were on the air, and we felt like that's a lot of money to give a guy at that age. Because Vaughn Miller had had a good season when he was traded from Denver to L.A. And he gave L.A. the jolt, the boost, the jump start, whatever the turn they needed to become a Super Bowl champion. Miller and Donald were a beast. But remember, they limited his snaps. They limited his participation in practice. They did a lot of things to protect him to have a great half a season in L.A. And then he got a $24 million cap hit to go play in Buffalo. And it has not worked out at all. Von Miller right now in 2024 is first team all name, no game, because what he is doing does not back it up. Some of the text line yesterday said, I'm worried about Von Miller breaking out and having a two sack game. Why? He hasn't had two sacks in two seasons, basically. Yeah, no, Von Miller. It has been a long time since Von Miller has had an impact in an NFL game. I mean, maybe this is one of those turn back, turn back the clock games. I'm just not going to be afraid of somebody who this season has done very little for me to be afraid of. The last time that Von Miller got a sack in an NFL game, it was November 13th of last season against the Minnesota Vikings. The last time that he got a sack in a game. He's just not a guy that you need to be afraid of at this point. Somebody asked, what is the contract situation for Von Miller? He technically has one more year left for the Buffalo Bills. Next year, his base salary is going to be $17 million. They still owe a little bit on the roster bonus because you know how that goes. You move some money around. Next year, the cap hit for Von Miller is going to be $23.7 million. You might be asking, well, they could just cut Von Miller. No, his dead cap space would be $32.5 million. The Buffalo Bills brought in Von Miller for one reason. It was to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. They might beat the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday. They will not do that because Von Miller is on their team. Like, he just is not giving you any reason to think this season that he is going to provide a significant impact in this game. And if he does, something went terribly wrong for Kansas City because in 12 games, he hasn't provided an impact against any team in the National Football League. You certainly don't want it to be the case against you coming up on the other side i have a comparison for josh allen that rob has been laughing at me all day about i'll tell you what it is keep it right here it's the drive you're listening to the drive with carrington harrison brought to you by deep esquale Moore. car truck or motorcycle wreck remember mike's got this on your official broadcast partner of the kansas city chiefs 610 sports radio Kansas City, it's Willie Gay Jr. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. I want to answer a couple of these questions about Von Miller really quickly before we talk about Josh Allen. So someone on the text line said, CDOT, I appreciate the stats about Von Miller. If you guys missed it, 
Von Miller this season has zero sacks and three tackles. The last time that Von Miller got a sack in an NFL game was November 13th of last season. It has been a long time since Von Miller has really had an impact in the game. Someone asked, hey, how often has he been on the field? Well, you know what? I looked that up for you during the commercial break. Let me give you the stat. Von Miller has played in 258 snaps this year. So I tried to find a defensive player on the Chiefs to give you a good comparison. There really wasn't one. Either you played substantially less than that or substantially more than that. The best comparison on offense, Rob, would be Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon played in 264 snaps offensively for the Chiefs this year. So that was about the usage. To let you guys know how bad Von Miller was this season. Just how bad he was. Von Miller had fewer sacks than Felix Anudike Uzama and had 11 fewer tackles than he did. Think about the impact that Felix Anudike Uzama had on the Chiefs this year. You would say it was minimal, right? Never really talked about him. Didn't really play a whole lot for the team. He played less than Von Miller did this year. He had a half sack and had 14 tackles compared to zero sacks for Von Miller and three tackles this season. And he also had more quarterback hits and tackle for losses. Felix Anudike Uzama was better this year than Von Miller. Football is a young man's game. And I'm not talking about Felix. Like He might just be too young to really contribute. Von Miller, old, bruh. You go from helping a team in a Super Bowl to having eight sacks last year and potentially being the difference maker to now, hey, are you going to retire? <laughs> are, you, are you done playing? Because that's kind of what it looks like with Von Miller. It happens quick. It happened with Julio Jones. Julio Jones was maybe the best receiver in the league, certainly in the conversation. Two years later, he couldn't play for the Titans. Three years later, he was the fifth receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. It happens. Vaughn, you have had a phenomenal career. Uh, you, you are done, my boy. Cooked. Absolutely cooked. We'll get back to the Chiefs coming up at the top of the hour. Rob and I were talking about this game, and we were talking about Josh Allen. And Spectre made the comparison that he kind of reminds him of Ben Roethlisberger. And he wasn't talking about, like, a play style. But he was saying that he thinks that Josh Allen is going to be this generation's Ben Roethlisberger. That, you know, Roethlisberger, future first ballot Hall of Famer, went to multiple Super Bowls, won multiple Super Bowls. But we don't look at Roethlisberger the same way that we look at Manning and Brady. There's a little bit of a difference between those two. He was saying that's how he thinks we're going to view Josh Allen whenever his career is over. And then I, I looked at Rob and I looked at Speck and I said, I think Josh Allen is what Cam Newton was supposed to be when he was coming out of Auburn. Like, if you were around back then, you remember, Cam in college was an absolute force. Like, you couldn't tell me then at that point that we were not watching a player that was going to revolutionize the NFL. His size, his speed, his running ability. I looked at Cam Newton like he was just going to be an absolute star in the league. And Cam was really good as an NFL player, won an NFL MVP, took a team to a Super Bowl. Cam Newton was a really, really good NFL player. He only threw over 30 touchdowns one time. Cam Newton only had one season in which he threw 4,000 yards. It ain't like Cam Newton played in 1997. He played in 2011 until 2021. He played in the modern era of the NFL and only had one season in which he threw over 4,000 yards and one season in which he had 30 touchdowns. Now, running the football, Cam was a beast when he was with Carolina. That's kind of what I think that – I think Josh Allen is the – version of Cam Newton that I thought he was going to be. When you look at 
the arm, the accuracy, how dynamic of a passer he's been, how great of a running threat that he's been, the kind with Josh Allen, it's very, very Cam Newton-esque. I know, you're not, I know you're not supposed to compare white players to black players, but here I am doing it. If you were telling me what is the historical comparison for Josh Allen, I think he is a better version of Cam Newton. Yeah, but isn't he already better than what Cam Newton ever was? Like, I think part of your comparison is you're projecting what you thought Cam Newton could have been post-MVP. But what Cam Newton was post-MVP in 2015 was not the same guy he was before. He was just fine. Like, he was... Still a good quarterback post 2015, but he never had another 20 touchdown. Excuse me. He only had one more 20 touchdown season. He then fell way off, got hurt. It ended like Josh Allen already has more touchdown passes than him. He has more 4,000 yard passing seasons than him. He has 20 rushing touchdowns short of him. Like, I guess this analogy only works when you're projecting cam to have continued on an upward trajectory post 2015 post MVP. When in reality, he was just good but not ever great again after that moment I don't disagree with you I think that year that Cam Newton was really good is basically what Josh Allen has been pretty consistently I mean that year for Cam Newton in 2015 he was really really good he had 35 touchdown passes only had 10 interceptions he was an absolute force running the football that year he ran for an extra 700 yards and 10 touchdowns like He was worthy of winning NFL MVP. You also think about the kind of style that Cam Newton played. He could run from anywhere on the field, and you also knew that he was going to be a great short yardage back for you. That if you had a third and one or a third and two or you needed a quarterback sneak, it was going to be really hard to bring that guy down. Isn't that what we see with Josh Allen? Isn't that what he's sort of become for that team that I know they don't have the same kind of play that Philadelphia does, but if it's a third and one, if it's a fourth and one, the best play for them is to get Josh Allen going downhill and just let him run. We're talking about a guy who is 6'5", 240, what Josh Allen is. And he's been just as good as Cam Newton was running the football. He had 15 rushing touchdowns this year. 15 rushing touchdowns this year. He has been a dominant force running the football. Maybe I'm, maybe you think my comparison is wrong and what Josh Allen, like if you're telling me like historically what quarterback he looks like, he just reminds me of Cam. I think if you're taking Cam's best year and extrapolating it out, that that's probably Josh Allen. But I feel like that's a little bit of cherry picking. Hey, let's take this best year. Let's pretend it was the entire duration of his career and boom, that's him. Cam had years before and after that MVP season, and those years before and after that MVP season have not been nearly as good as Josh Allen's career. I think their play style is similar. I think their body type is similar, but I think Josh Allen has already been better. Like yesterday on the show, you said definitively Josh Allen's a Hall of Fame quarterback. And I don't know. I disagree with you. I think, I think he jo- will be yeah, by the time it's over. I mean, I, I would say right now, I don't think that he is a Hall of Famer. I think he is playing at a trajectory and a pace that when Josh Allen is done, I think we will look at him as being a Hall of Famer. I mean, part of being a Hall of Famer is like, what's the marquee Josh Allen moment? Like, I would say that he doesn't really have it. He almost had that moment a couple of years ago against Kansas City, but then Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, and Travis Kelsey stole that moment away. At some point, I think Josh Allen wins a Super Bowl. I don't know if it's going to be this season or not, but at some point, I think Buffalo is talented enough at the quarterback position that I think they are going to win the Super Bowl. This is as good of a chance that they've had since that 13 seconds game. This team is positioned to win a Super Bowl. You have to now get by your biggest hurdle, 
The biggest hurdle for them has been Kansas City. Oddly enough, in this game, Kansas City has now, like I would say that Buffalo is now their biggest hurdle. This is a team that you lost to earlier in the year. You're going on the road for the first time. Their fans are going to be. Like both of these teams, I think, have provided very unique challenges for the other team, which is part of why I think this game is so compelling and why I think it's going to be such an interesting and close game. Coming up on the other side, you have been saying something over the course of the week about how the Chiefs need to prove something. I think I can define it for you coming up on the other side. Plus, we'll get to the hits, and we'll also react to Frank White as he has vetoed the idea of the downtown stadium. That's coming up. Keep it right here. It's the drive.